Hey, man, it is so good to be back on a normal kind of schedule, right? To, to finally have normal service, right? No parties, no, no, no pop-up nights. You know, it's just us. It's family. I'm back, you know, preaching that kind of stuff, you know. So um, if you could go ahead and put up uh, this, I don't know if you guys saw today, but we announced that we are in a, uh, a new series. We're actually in our first, uh, second series, the first one of the new year. Um, when I first came on, I kind of just preached stuff that I had worked on in college and things, but this is, for the first time, this is stuff that we are working through and working on together, and that is exciting, right? It is? Oh, you guys think it is, right? Yeah, cool. Awesome, awesome. So, um, where does this come from? Where does this idea of a fresh start come from? Well, it's the new year, and as Megan was saying before, we're already like 15 days in. We're like two weeks in. That's crazy. We're halfway through the month. Like, that's nuts. How many people make New Year's resolutions? <laughs> yeah? Do you guys keep them? How many people have already broken your New Year's resolution already? <laughs> He's like, I didn't even make one, but I broke it. It happens. And so what I want to do is not necessarily do the new year, new me thing, because a lot of people do that. How many people have heard messages like that or heard, uh, especially around the new year, they hear the new year, new me. You probably hear it around school as well. People say it on Facebook and social media, like, hey, this is my year, blah, blah, blah. And it just turns out to be the same thing. Well, <laughs> we're going to be looking at three different people in the Bible um, over the next three weeks of just really seeing how God completely changed their entire being from their identity to their calling to just everything, completely switched it all up and just changed it on, you know, flipped it on its head. And so um, before we get into the text, uh, it's in, uh, it's Acts 9, Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through, uh, through we'll go all the way to 19. But before I get into it, you guys know of a guy named Kanye West? Yeah. How many people loved that new album? How many people bought the Choir album too? Dude, the Choir released an album. The Choir behind him released the album. It is, bro, it's so good. It's so good. And this, this, this thing with Kanye over the past couple weeks or, or months, right? It happened in the fall. He announced that he was going to be a Christian artist now, and that's crazy. And so, like, what has happened over the past few months with him has been insane. He's been doing shows at prisons now. He's been speaking the gospel. He's bringing pastors on to come through and actually, like, speak, shut down the, 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 uh, the show. They shut it down, and they just have somebody come out and preach the gospel. Is that not awesome to think that, you know, we have thousands of people who are listening to Kanye West preach a, a gospel message now? Uh, there are two quotes that he had. Uh, that I found really interesting about this, you know, he, he had had this successful career before uh, becoming a Christian, before turning his life over. He had this insanely successful career, but I think it's really interesting what he has to say. And this is, this is these are two quotes that he said um, at one of his shows. He said, I know that God has been calling me for a long time, and the devil has been distracting me for a long time. When I was at my lowest point, God was there with me. Anybody been in that boat? you at your lowest point and God's been there. He's been inspiring me and sending me visions, right? That's awesome. And then he said this. He said, the devil will come and do everything he can to distract people from showing service to the Lord. 
This is what I think is super cool, because if you know anything about Kanye West before over the past couple years, this is so spot on. He said, the arrogance that you saw me use before is now being used for God. Because I don't know if you, you remember, you guys are probably super little, that's weird to say, but you guys remember when he grabbed the mic from Taylor Swift? Anybody remember, ever seen that clip? Like, he is just, he was this insane person. He actually, at one point, like, thought he was Jesus. Like, he, he was claiming, like, he, just insane. But then he has this, ins, he has this incredible flip. And now he, he's got quotes like this where he's saying, look, I know I was arrogant. I know I was proud. I know I was crazy. But now look at me. Look at me now, what God is doing through me now. He's giving Kanye a new fresh start. And what I want to read in Acts is about how he gives this guy named Paul a fresh start. You guys know Paul? Paul's awesome. I love the book of Acts. Acts is super cool. You guys know the gospel of Luke? You know the gospel of Luke? This is basically Luke 2. That's what Acts is. It is the sequel to Luke. And, and, and it addressed uh, the same guy in Luke, so that's why we know that it was Luke who wrote it, and it was for the purpose of giving Gentile Christians in the early church a, 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 a history lesson. It was it was showcasing, like, like, hey, this is what happened in the early church. This is how these early uh, apostles came through and and built the church, right? So that's pretty cool, isn't it? That that they built the church so long ago, and now we we still get to celebrate and 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 act in the same thing. Is that not cool to have a legacy like that? It's the link between the Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the rest of the letters of Paul. Because Paul wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament. You guys know that, right? You knew that? All right, cool. Well, let's go ahead and let's read together. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts uh, 9, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. And we're going to read all the way to 19. And it's in the NIV. Uh, if, you, if you're there, say there. If you're not there, say not there. And if you're not there, you can take a look at the screen because it is there. It says this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him to let, uh, to, to uh, ask him for the letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if any were found there who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, and this is in red letters, which means from Jesus himself. It says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And verse 5 says, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you persecuted, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Verse 7, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, and they had heard the ground, uh, they had heard the sound, but did not see anyone. That's pretty crazy to hear something and not see anybody. That would be insane. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. Whew, that would be freaky, wouldn't it? You hear this random voice, you, you drop to your knees. You, you, you cover your face, and then whenever you get up to, like, stand up, you can't see anything? That's insane. So that's what happened here. He, he could see nothing. So they led him, the men, they led him into Damascus, and for three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple called Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord told him, go into the house 
of Judas on Straight Street and asked for a man named Tarsus, named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias replied, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to the holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come with authority from the chief priests to arrest all those who call on your name. So he's saying, listen, this dude is crazy. He is bad. He is killing people. I am not going to him. There is no way that I am going to him. And he says, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. The man is a chosen, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went into the house and he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, that's really important. Because here he is a couple of verses later and he, or earlier and he says, I'm not going to him. He kills Christians. He's not a Christian. But then... After the Lord speaks to him, he addresses him as Brother Saul. You guys know, like, in, in, you know, some of the churches, like, that are super old school, they'll call you brother or sister. Yeah? What's up, Brother Keegan? How you doing? You good? Awesome. Brother Tristan? Yeah? You good? Exactly. So that's what he says. So he says, Brother, brother Saul, man, he's already getting it. He's already understanding, like, hey, this dude is, is, is legit. He's going to be used by the Lord. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that I, so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and he was what? He was baptized. And after, uh, after uh, taking some food, he regained his strength. Let's go to the Lord in prayer just really, really quickly. I think that that's uh, just an awesome place to, to be able to call on him. Father, we just pray your blessing over this service. We pray that you would just use me to be able to speak uh, on, on your behalf, Lord, to, to really uh, uh, prompt the hearts of each and every student here, Lord. I pray that you would just speak through me to, uh, to each and every student and their needs. Lord, whatever it is that you're wanting them to receive, I pray that they would receive it. And, and I just pray that you would uh, do it in, in, in a way that, that is so personal it could only be from you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. So, so what is the first thing about this that causes this fresh start from Paul? Because we know Paul as this, this, amazing, this amazing teacher. He's this amazing writer. But there's this whole history about him before he accepts Jesus, before he turns to the Lord, that is so important to his story. You see, and, and that's really the pivotal point, <laughs> the pivotal point of of this story, and that is that he first came to terms with his sin. Let me just read some context. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. It's a few verses, and it just shows how gruesome Paul, or, or yeah, Paul was when he was Saul, when he was killing Christians. This is, uh, you guys know Stephen? Anybody heard of Stephen before? Yeah? Well, check this out. This is, this is really crazy. When you, when you hear about it. See, Stephen was, uh, uh, he was, he was uh, someone who was preaching the gospel. I mean, going, he was, he was Saul, he was Paul before, before Paul was. He was there just preaching and, and going into the cities and, and, and just preaching Jesus' name and 
at that time, you couldn't do it. Saul was hunting people like that. This is what happens in verse 54. It says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Verse 56, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, the people, the Sanhedrin, the people of the city, covered their ears. And yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Stoning was not like taking a, a big rock and smashing it over your, your head so that you, you know, die like, like quickly. That's not what this was. Stonings were extremely humiliating because they would really honestly just take these little rocks and just keep pelting you. And anybody ever been help, uh, hit with like a small rock? That hurts, right? They would take these small rocks and then they would get bigger and they would get bigger and they would get bigger. And before you know it, you're just all gruesome looking like you're just you have all these rocks thrown at you and they're not all the they're not all of them are big and so he's sitting here being stoned by these people they dragged him out they begin to stone him meanwhile the witnesses laid their coat at the feet of the young man named Saul while they were stoning him Stephen prayed Lord Jesus receive my spirit and then he fell to his knees and cried out Lord do not hold the sin against him and when he said this, he fell asleep. When it says sleep, that's not like he took a nap. He passed away. He died from the stoning. And this is what it says at the very end. In verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And Saul approved of the killing of him. He didn't just sit there and go, oh, that you shouldn't be doing that. He didn't try to get in there and stop him. He didn't try to do that. He approved it. As they, were, as they were stoning Stephen, they actually laid their coats at the feet of Saul. And they said, you know what? You're the dude. You're the dude. We're going to follow. We're going to follow your orders. Saul made an order to kill this guy. That was the kind of guy Saul was. And now here he is. He's got a plot. He's got a scheme to go through and take out all the Christians in Damascus. He's going to go ask for the letters. And he knows that Christians are going to want those. And so they're going to come out of their hiding spots, and he's going to be able to take them all as prisoners, probably kill some of them. That's his plan. Obviously, Jesus had different plans, huh? Yeah? Well, check this. Before Saul was able to be perceived as a saint and do the work of the ministry because he did some awesome things, before he could do that, he had to come to terms with himself as a sinner, and here's the important thing about this, this first part of the story is when Jesus comes to him in a vision and says, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this? He's not trying to make excuses. You ever been caught so deeply that you can't even make an excuse for it? You ever been caught so deeply, so right-handed or red-handed that you're just like, oh, I did it. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah? See, that's what happens when Jesus comes to, to Saul in this, in this vision. He's not even trying to defend himself. He knows exactly what he's doing. And often, oftentimes we're hesitant to tell our sin to the Lord because we think that, that he's going to ask us to change and that scares us. How many people are scared of what God could maybe say about your sin? You guys, you guys ever felt like that? I've felt like that. Sometimes we're embarrassed by our mistakes. How many people sometimes get embarrassed by your sin? Yeah, I've been there. But see, 
See, this is the first step that we all have to take is recognizing that we're sinners and that we have to come to terms with that. Because without that, we're never going to be used by God. I don't know about you, but if you have a calling or a passion or something that God is like stirring your heart in and you can't come to terms with your sin, you're never going to be able to step into it. See, Saul would have never wrote two-thirds of the, of the New Testament and been this amazing pastor and teacher. He would have never been this amazing mentor had he never recognized himself as a, as a sinner. If he was only sitting there and going, oh, well, I did this and I did this, but, but, but this is why I did it. He's making excuses. That's not coming to terms with your sin. That's just making excuses. We good? Okay. I, I'm probably in, the, I'm probably in the, the, the only boat here. No, you guys haven't because you guys are all awesome. Have you guys ever been corrected by your family or by friends or by, like, people? Yeah. It's not always fun, is it? It's not always fun. I think of uh, over the past couple weeks, I'm just be really honest. Can I be really honest with you guys? Is that cool? Okay. Over the past couple weeks, I've kind of been, like, a little bit of a, a, little bit of a fart lately to, uh, to my amazing girlfriend, right? Like, she's just, she's so dope. And yet, here I am, this kind of, I just mess up a, a lot. I do. I've found myself over the past, I found myself over the past week or two weeks going, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have had this happen. But what amazes me about her and really about my family, they do the same thing. My friends do the same thing. But, but just these past couple weeks, Macy has always allowed me the opportunity to correct myself. She always, she always reassures me that that's not who I am. She always is able to speak to that and go, hey, listen, I'm not going to hold that against you. You just have to change. <laughs> you, can't, you can't keep doing it, right? But, but, but I'm not angry with you. I'm not mad at you. I don't think of you any differently. She has just been this amazing uh, illustration of really this whole thing. And, and most of the time, most of the time with those situations, especially with her, I find myself coming to her later on. Like, she doesn't even really have to say anything anymore because I already know. Because I already know. But I don't feel, I don't feel, uh, uh, like, I don't feel like I can't come to her. And also, most of the time, I don't feel like I can argue my way out. How many people have ever tried to argue your way out with, like, a friend or, or boyfriend or girlfriend? Where, like, you know you're wrong, but you're like, I'm going to see if I can just argue my way out of this and still somehow win. <laughs> it doesn't work, let me tell you. It doesn't work. You see, we have to be able to come to terms with our sin so that we can step into what it is that God has for us. And if we don't, we're never going to be able to take that next step. Never. There's another really interesting part of this story, and that is... That prayer is at the center of this whole change that Paul makes. Prayer is at the center. It's at the very uh, uh, just core of, of, of this change that, that Paul makes. Well, I said it before. How many people would feel scared if you guys went blind whenever you like, you know, you drop to your knees, you fall down, and then you stand up and you can't see? Have you guys ever tried to like get out of bed too quick? And like you're like, Ugh! you can't see and you're all like discombobulated 
walking around like a crazy person. It happens all the time. I would be freaked out. I get scared all the time. When I do that, I'm like, okay, I'm dying. This is it. <laughs> this is it. This is my time. It's horrible. So imagine having this blindness and having this blindness for three days. You'd probably feel really alone, wouldn't you? Probably feel really alone. Here's the cool thing. Paul was never alone after receiving this vision. And even in the midst of his blindness, he was never alone. And see, what does he tell Paul to do? He tells him to go into the city and to start praying. And so for three days, he doesn't eat anything. We just came off of a fast in the church. I don't know if you guys did it, but it was really, really awesome. It was really good. So he does that. He goes in and he just prays. And, and prayer becomes the center of this change in his heart. You see, he was a Pharisee. Y'all know Pharisees, right? Like when we talk about Jesus and the Pharisees, and they're the really religious folk. That's what Saul was. He was this, he was this religious Jew who, who was like, this can't be the Messiah because that's not who it was. That's not the description of the Messiah, right? So he's this deeply religious man. And, and when Jesus comes into his life, he takes that religious spirit that he has and he uses it to start chasing after the heart of Jesus, to start chasing after the heart of the Lord. You see, prayer takes over the entire last half of this passage. And what happens in the last half? There's a healing there. There's a calling that's there. And there's a commissioning of sending him out. Three things happen through prayer. He gets, he gets his healing, he gets his miracle, he gets his calling, and then he gets his commissioning, right? How cool is that? I say it all the time. When we go into, when we go into times of, of worship, I'll probably say it again tonight just because it's so important. If you guys want to receive your callings, if you want a miracle, if you want God to move, you're going to have to pray. You're going to have to worship. You're going to have to pay attention. <laughs> you got to do that because if you don't, you're never going to be able to step in. In the same way that you have to come to your sin before you can really uh, understand how to walk uh, with the Lord, it's the same way with prayer. If you don't have it at the center of everything, your life is going to crumble. Stuff is going to start to not make any sense. You're going to start to feel confused, and it's not good. It's really, it's really, really important. I think it's, it's, it's important to know that it is just right there in the middle of his healing and in the middle of his commissioning. Paul, Paul is blind. Who knows? If he didn't pray, who knows if there would have been that healing? I mean, God can do whatever he wants to do. He might have made those, those scales fall just on their own, but I, there, it's, it's just so clear that prayer is at the center of it. Do you guys pray a lot, like really, like really deeply? If you, if you don't, let me, just, let me just tell you about what God has done in my prayer life. I, I don't like necessarily bragging about some of this stuff, but it's not really bragging. It's bragging on the Lord. It's not bragging about myself. Let me tell you this. Through prayer, through prayer and talking to the Lord and reading my Bible and being just, just committed to him, let me just tell you some of the stuff that's happened. 
I've received a confirmation of my calling. At 13 years old, I was able to, to, to really step in and say, I am called to young people. I am called to be a youth pastor. I am called to love you guys. I, that's my calling. At 13, I was able to see it. I was able to walk into it. I was able to go to a university where I could, I could study youth ministry. I don't know about some of my high schoolers who are looking at colleges, but I'm sure most of them probably don't have youth ministry degrees. I was able to find a university, for one, that had that degree. David's rocking the t-shirt. <laughs> I was able to find a, a university that had my degree. I was able to pay for the university. I mean, I'm still paying on it, but, like, you know, it's fine. I was able to get there. I was able to finish it. I was able to do all of that, that stuff. I was able to see God move through my education. Moving on, I was able, in, in January, I prayed so hard for what God was calling me into after I graduated college. Because I was graduating in May, and I didn't know what God had for me. Little did I know that it was coming to a little town called Prescott Valley, Arizona, to come be the youth pastor at Life Point Church. Woo, woo! <laughs> I, I got that. I got that confirmation through prayer. And through seeking the Lord in everything that I did, I don't want to think what decisions I would have made, what I would have thought I would have heard from God if I wasn't close to him. You know, if I was only praying once a week and I turned around and said, oh, God's calling me to this and I believe it, like, but I really didn't. You guys ever done that? <laughs> ever done that? Ever, you've heard of like the stories of like uh, Christian dating people and they're like, I just feel like God is calling me to, to not date you anymore. It's like, no, you just don't want to be with me. Don't use that. Don't use that. You know, it's kind of like that. We're like, you use prayer when it's convenient. If you find yourself doing that, you're going to walk into situations that you were never meant to walk into. You're going to walk through doors that you thought were open but turned out were just cracked and you pushed your way in. You know, that's what happens when your prayer life is not really at the core of everything. But when it is, you're able to receive all that God has for you. Everything that he has in intended for you. There's this last part, and this is the closing. I promise I'll, I'll, I'll be done here pretty soon. And that is this. You have to grab the calling. You have to grab the calling. You can have uh, an acknowledgement of your sin. That's great. I just said how important that is. You can have prayer at the center of everything. I just said how important that is. I'm not discounting it. But above, after you do those things, you have to actually take the steps to walk into what it is that God has for you. Because if you don't, you're never going to be able to, to, to see the fruits of that. You see, Saul was on his journey. He was ready to go. He was going to Damascus. He was going to go it, it, capture some, some Christians. He was going to go maybe kill some. I don't know. And he, that was just his plan. And he goes on his way to Damascus, and he didn't run from what he was commanded to do when he met God there. You see, when he met God on that road to Damascus, there was an instant obedience there. He knew exactly who was in the vision. He knew exactly who he was hearing from. And he knew exactly what to do next. Find that interesting, huh? How he hears this voice. He doesn't see anyone. 
He just hears this voice. But he knows exactly who it is. He knows exactly the words that are spoken, and there's a, an, an immediate uh, obedience through it. You see, he embraced that calling from then on, and he went on to be an amazing pastor. He went on to be an amazing teacher. You guys know Timothy, the, the books of Timothy and, and all that. Well, those are to Paul, to Timothy, because Timothy was going to, to, to uh, be a successor to Paul, you know? Like, like Paul was done. He was ready to, he's like, okay, I'm about to die. I'm going to pass this thing off to you. See, he had people set up. He would have never been able to do that if he didn't walk into his calling. I, I say all that to say this, and the worship team can come on out. I say that to say this. What would it look like in our lives, in our ministry, in our community, in our schools, if we were able to grab the calling and go in all in on what he has for us? What if we stopped sitting around and kind of dipping your toe in whatever or, or doing it for a couple weeks after camp or a couple weeks after youth convention, really started to grab onto it? What would that look like? What would it look like for, for us to not hold back, to not get distracted, to not focus on things to the left or to the right, but focus on Jesus and say, you know what? I'm not going to be detoured. I have a calling. I have a purpose. I have a, a, a mission. God has given me giftings. I'm going to use it. What would that look like? How amazing would it be for us to bring in our friends who are sick and see them healed? How cool would it be to bring lost friends come and, who have never had anything to do with Jesus, never wanted anything to do with Jesus, and they come into this place and they said, oh, I think I'm interested. How amazing would that be? Guys, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen until we take a step and we say we're all in. We're all in. Listen, if you pray, if you listen to God, if you worship him, if you put him above everything else, he is going to show up. He is going to work in your life. And he's going to give you the callings and the purpose and the visions, everything that you want. And you're feeling like, I just, you know, I just need this. If I just have this, I'll be good to go. Don't do that. Don't, don't wait for God to move before you acknowledge him and worship him and pray to him. You know, I think in the Old Testament, we see, we see Abraham, we see Sarah, Right? You guys know that story? She was like 100, or she was like 90, he was like 100. And they had been praying for decades. Decades. I need this. I need this. This God, you promised me this. God, you promised me this. But guess what? They never, they never really looked at that situation and said, nah, 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 he's not going to do it. They did for a little bit. For, for, for a tab, but, but God set him straight, didn't he? God set him straight. When Sarah starts laughing and cackling, she's like, I'm 90 years old. He said, uh, be quiet. Sit down. <laughs> Sit down. Listen, it doesn't matter if God's not showing up right now. Start praying. Start worshiping him. Start acknowledging your sin. Start being all in and watch what he does. 
if that's what you were looking for, man, just do it. Just do it and watch what happens. Watch what happens. It's 2020. This is our first, uh, this is our first service back off of all the craziness. So I would just encourage you as we go into worship, let's do something special. Let's set the tone for 2020, right? Do you guys want to see some crazy things happen this year? I mean, like, really, I mean, I know you guys can get loud and get crazy, but I mean, really, do you guys want to see some crazy things happen? Yes. Hey, yes, hey, I believe, I believe wholeheartedly, I was just talking about this to some, some leaders here, some people on staff, I wholeheartedly believe we can set the tone for this entire church. On Sunday mornings, on Sunday mornings, we could come in here and turn this place into youth. What's stopping us from coming up to the front? What's stopping us from, from jumping around and going crazy on the front? Is it your parents? Hey, I, I, if it is, I get it. I, I'm there. I got, a, I got a, a, a challenge for you guys. Let's do that. Let's do that. Over the, over the next couple weeks, when we come into to Sunday morning services, let's set the tone for the entire, the entire church. Let's do that. Let's become leaders of the church. Hey, man, I don't, I, I don't care if you're leaders of this youth group. I know we have student leaders. That's awesome. Let's go above. Let's see what God does. You guys in with me? You guys think we could do that? You guys think yeah. we could get that going? You guys think we could, could jump around and go crazy like we do? Come on. Come on. Because I believe, hey, listen, listen, I know you guys got some parents and grandparents up in here who can get crazy. I believe all it takes is for you to step out, for them to step out. You know? Does that make sense? <laughs> I, think, I think that that would be awesome. And let's not do it just for the hype. Let's do it because we love God. Let's do it because we want to worship him. And we want to do that. Let's start it tonight. Start it tonight. If you guys would just stand with me. If you guys would just stand with me and bow your heads and close your eyes as you stand. If you could do this uh, as well, if you could just open your hands out, open your hands out. I just want to pray that we would just receive everything that God is, is, is calling us into this year. Father, Lord, we are sitting with our hands open. We are believing that you are going to do something incredible in this next season. We're believing that you're going to allow us to be the trendsetters. We're going to be the tone setters. We are going to be the leaders of not only this youth group, of not only this community, but this church. Father, we're going to come in here and we're not going to worry about what our parents think or what our grandparents think or what our uncles think or what our friends think. We're just going to go after you because that's what you deserve. So, Father, I pray that you would just allow us to open up our hearts right now. Open up our hearts. Lord, if we want to dance, I pray that you would uh, just let people dance. Go loose. Father, I, I pray for just, just a real sense of your presence to fall on this place and to be able to saturate this, this entire space. Father, we believe that through worship, through prayer, through walking through everything that you're opening up for us, we believe that you will do something incredible. 
you're going to meet us here. And we're going to meet you here. And we're just going to go after you. Father, I pray you would speak to us in this time of worship. I pray that you would be able to allow for, for prayer to happen, for healings to happen, for callings to be given. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord. And we just bless you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Hey, let's do it. Let's do it. Come on.